Black Colossus Opening The night of power when fate stalked through the corridors of the world like a colossus just risen from an age-old throne of granite. E. Hoffman Price, the girl from Samarkand. Only the age-old silence brooded over the mysterious ruins of Kuthachemis, but fear was there. Fear quivered in the mind of Shavatas, the thief, driving his breath quick and sharp against his clenched teeth. He stood, the one atom of life amidst the colossal monuments of desolation and decay. Not even a vulture hung like a black dot in the vast blue vault of the sky that the sun glazed with its heat. On every hand rose the grim relics of another forgotten age, huge broken pillars thrusting up their jagged pinnacles into the sky, long wavering lines of crumbling walls, fallen cyclopean blocks of stone, shattered images whose horrific features the corroding winds and dust storms had half erased. From horizon to horizon no sign of life, only the sheer breathtaking sweep of the naked desert bisected by the wandering line of a long dry river course. In the midst of that vastness, the glimmering fangs of the ruins, the columns standing up like broken masts of sunken ships, all dominated by the towering ivory dome before which Shavatas stood trembling. The base of this dome was a gigantic pedestal of marble rising from what had once been a terraced eminence on the banks of the ancient river. Broad steps led up to a great bronze door in the dome, which rested on its base like the half of some titanic egg. The dome itself was of pure ivory, which shone as if unknown hands kept it polished. Likewise shone the spired gold cap of the pinnacle, and the inscription which sprawled about the curve of the dome in golden hieroglyphics yards long. No man on earth could read those characters, but Shavada shuddered at the dim conjectures they raised, for he came of a very old race, whose myths ran back of shapes undreamed of by contemporary tribes. Hey there folks, you are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer the Shematish Shyster Church. Ooh. Yeah. Is that an actual place? In the book. Oh, okay. They're Shemites or Shemites. Remember? If you read it. Did you read it? No. Hey, I wanted to bring this up first and foremost. I'm kind of starting to think this Conan guy is a bit of a barbarian. A little bit. He's like doing barbaric stuff. Lots of uh, head chopping. The first story we read in this... Most recent rendition. Well, what? This way, the, the third episode, right? Yeah. This is episode three. Is it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> How terrible we are. I don't even know if people are listening to these. I have to go look at the numbers. <laughs> this week, we were supposed to read Queen of the Black Coast, The Black Colossus, and what was the other one? Uh, Iron Shadows in the Moon. Oh, Awesome baby and it is a uh raunchy good time the synopsis for the old which i'm going to take the synopsis from the conan wiki and just go through the details i have only one for the not this one but the middle story the black colossus but from now on i'm just going to use the conan wiki because it gives a more detailed description and i don't have to you know sound stupid like we do every episode why start now why change the way we do things Anywho, 
Did first story, Queen of the Black Coast. In Queen of the Black Coast, Conan joins with Bullet, the magnificent pirate queen whose fathers were the kings of Ascalon. There is a frightening conflict with a monster-winged ape before the sorrowful, sorrowful passing of the Queen of the Black Coast. She who belonged to the sea, to its everlasting mystery, he returned her Queen of the Black Coast, also contains the second Conan. Okay, yeah. um, this story was about old Conan. He uh, was he escaping from some place at the beginning of this? Yeah, it was like a. It just thought like people were working on a boat, you know, getting it ready, and he just comes like trocking up on his horse with people like chasing, chasing him. him. And he's like, "Go, move! I'm Conan. Go." Was this the one where he uh, murdered the shit out of a judge, or like he was on court and he just was like, "This is stupid," because he's a barbarian and he just figured it was really dumb. I can't remember this. I read this one a while ago. Yeah, you know what? Let me go to the old Conan wiki. So I don't want to fuck this up. Because I think most of this one takes place on just in, on the open sea, I think. Or under the sea. Under the sea. All right, here we go. The detailed synopsis here, sir. This will help us riff. A horse riding Conan leaps aboard a small galley pulling out of the Argos Harbor. He's being chased by soldiers and demands the captain and oarsman put to sea quickly. As the captain, Tito wisely agrees, the frustrated Argosian soldiers watch from the shore, much to Conan's amusement. As he, you know, they drive away, You son of a bitch! You get back here, boy! Um, Punk-ass soldiers, they couldn't do nothing with Conan. The danger having passed, Conan introduces himself to Tito. I like Tito. Yeah, I like that too. Explaining that... I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Explaining that his killing of a guardsman who harassed some of his friends and the subsequent killing of the judge who sentenced him causes Conan to run from the authorities. Make my authority, boy. Nonplussed Tito assures Conan that he and his ship, the Argus... I thought this said anus for a second. <laughs> the Argus is a safe haven for... Sometimes I'm, I'm reading something, yeah. I just, like, change the word because I just want it to be something else. And forever after, it's just, like, anus. So the ship was always anus when I was reading it. Um, anyway, the Argus is a safe haven for him, and Conan settles in for the journey to Kush. Yeah, I like Kush, too. Unfortunately, the villages Tito usually trades at seem to have been sacked by pirates, and he suspects the Tigress... Under the command of Belit, the Shemite Queen of the Black Coast. Soon the Argus encounters the Tigress itself, and despite Conan's personally dispatching several of the black, feathered, and painted pirates with both bow and sword, the Argosian sailors are quickly overrun and killed. And they were murdered hard. Uh, before we go on, I just want to say, uh, with the Queen of the Black Coast, this was when we were really introduced to the black savages. Yeah. There's lots of description of the ebon and ebony skinned people and uh i mean it wasn't like overtly racist then again there is like a big gorilla monster like he uses a lot of like apes as the bad guys too and they're always from like these these black villages and stuff so that's a little when i was reading this this story i was at least thinking like at least the like the black people in this story for the most part weren't like these like (laughs) Dumb boy. Like in the last, like when the last episode after the uh, the story where like he's captured, like the Scarlet Citadel. Yeah, and like he, that big. They just had like that big, like muscly, goofy, like black guy who was like taunting him and stuff like yeah. that. At least there wasn't anything too much like that. No, they at least made these ones like 
I mean, they were soldiers. I mean, kind of. I mean, they were like, they weren't like, they were organized, I guess you would say. I think he's in something. Just as Conan is about to be killed himself, Belit stops her men intrigued by the barbarian. And that's another thing I didn't like. And I noticed this in a couple stories. Like, it's always like this white, super white princess type. Yeah. In this case, she's more of a... Albino? Empress type. But yeah, she's just like albino or something. I don't know. But it's always like these uh, white women ruling over the black men. So that's kind of icky too. Would you? And have you ever noticed in like a lot of stories, like Conan's always about to get it until somebody's like, "Wait a minute, let's not." And then it always backfires. Like how many times in these stories have they like Conan has been in a position to where they they could have got him easily? Yeah. But for some reason, they just don't follow through with it. Every <laughs> single one. Anytime he's captured, they just they we're gonna let you be killed by something else that's not us or something. Yeah. Like in the Scarlet Citadel, they, let's just put him in the dungeon instead of just killing him while he's tied mm-hmm. up. Let's just put him in the dungeon for a snake to maybe eat him. It's very stupid. It's the old James Bond style yeah. writing. <laughs> His northern Sumerian heritage is exotic to Belit and her men, and she offers Conan the chance to be her king and to get up and uh, get up in that, you know. She wants to ride that Ooh. Sumerian. What, what? He agrees, and one of the pirates, Nayaga, tends to his wounds as the cargo of the anus is pillaged in the ship's scuttled. I'm just going to call it the anus from now on. After Blit performs a dance for Conan, they consummate the relationship. Probably, I think it was right there on the nasty boat, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I feel like everyone was just watching. Just on the poop deck? Yeah, on the poop deck. And everyone was just, just eyes. Oh, this is, these white folks are just fucking nasty. That's like getting an infection. <laughs> no protection or nothing. No protection on the poop deck. No, never is. The Black Lotus. This is part two. Sometime later, after much pillaging up and down the shore, and the growth of the legend of Bullet and her mate, Conan just gets into all kinds of great things. He just always like stumbles half-assed into just fucking. Just, yeah, back, back. He's either a leader or a king, or he's just rolling a pirate ship. Well, I was gonna say in these in this batch of stories, we uh, you know we talk about like the different kind of Conans. We've had Thief Conan, we've had King Conan, and now we really get into Pirate Conan. Pirate Conan, I like Pirate Conan a lot. Anyway, the wait a minute, she has heard of a city up the river. All right, this is kind of long. So they ended up going up the river to this fucking ancient city they heard of that it has uh, like some kind of ancient relics and stuff, and they think they're gonna score a lot of money. You know, a lot of gold and jewels and shit. But there's a group of, uh, like, different pirates and stuff, I think, were always too scared to go up there. And maybe the ones who did died. So it had a bit of a, a bit of a malice, if you will. And then, um, yeah, so Belit tells Conan she has heard of a city up the river, Zarkheba. And with a crew that has dwindled down to about 80, they set forth upriver. The riversides are mysteriously devoid of animal life until moonrise when a clamor arises from the jungle that startles the crew. Conan and Belit discuss gods and faith, with Conan trusting the world that he knows and Belit believing passionately in the gods and spirits, going so far as to say she would come back after death to help her lover. I like this one because uh, this was like the first, and so far like really only, dive into the Conan theology where they go over, like, the gods and what they yeah. believe in, like, more in depth. And Conan's was, uh, I guess after you die, you just kind of wander aimlessly into nothing. I think that's what his people believe. So that was kind of cool, because he was, like, intrigued by her talk of her gods and all that stuff. And 
And there's only a couple paragraphs, but I thought it was pretty neat. Uh, their talk is interrupted by the scream of a crewman who has been attacked by a giant serpent that slithered over the side and pulled its prey into the murky water. Damn lizards and yeah. slithering snakes always coming out of nowhere. Conan takes over the watch himself, and soon the ship sails by a ruined city, and the crew spies a winged ape. Now, see, that'd be like the thing. But like, I'm not when I see like giant gorillas flying around. I think I'm just not gonna go there. Yeah, it's it's one thing like like Wizard of Oz, like a flying monkey. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But when you had like a flying, like full blown like gorilla or like baboon just coming at you, yeah, that's that's frightening. That's like the one time where it's good like to have the loincloth so you can just shit yourself and don't have to worry about ruining <laughs> just it. Pick up the flap. <laughs> Bullet orders her pirates into the city where they find an ancient temple where sacrifices took place. And as some of the crew attempts to pry open the altar, a trap collapses and kills them. That was really fucked up too because like Conan was help. He was going to help them, like, pick up this giant fucking rock thing. And, uh, you know, Belit, the lady, she was like, hey, I'll come over here. I need you for a minute. And then the guys just get crushed to death. And they were, like, her some of her strongest guys, yeah. too. And she was like, I called you over here because I knew there was a trap and they were probably going to die. It's <laughs> like, that's really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you just fucking you set them up, man. You set them up for failure. You think you would need those people later on. Yeah, you'd think so. Apparently she doesn't give a shit. When the stone and bodies are cleared, the pirates discover a cache of treasure. The crew begins to gather the gold and precious stones, but they notice the flying ape near the Tigris. And when Conan returns to the ship to investigate, he discovers the creature has destroyed the fresh water supply. Well, they can't go back because they'll fucking die of dehydration. While Conan takes a group of men to search for a water source, Blit and the others begin to stow the loot. Because you know that's what's important at that point. When he hears a noise, he sends Sub-Chief Nagora ahead and checks out the sound, only to accidentally run into an outcropping of deadly black lotus, which renders him helpless and he collapses. I like the description of the black lotus flower he brushes against, you know, and it's dripping death and all that shit. And he just passes out in the fucking jungle until dark. And he just wakes up miraculously not eaten by anything. He's like, ah, this isn't good. Part 3, The Horror of the Jungle. Conan has visions of an ancient, angelic, winged race who inhabited the city long before the rise of man. An earthquake and flood triggered the city's destruction and poisoned the water, mutating the race into demonic, twisted humanoids of which only one remains, and Conan sees through his eyes as it stalks Nagora and his men. Groggily awaking fully, Conan stumbles to find Nagora, but sees only frantic tracks and thrown spears. I uh, didn't even get that part because some of it was too, I don't know if it was overly written or it was just confusing. Like, I got that there was only, like, one humanoid demon thing, but, like, the whole part of the earthquake and the flood, I I didn't get that. Yeah. I must have just, like, either ignored it or didn't understand it. Well, that's how, and I've, I've had that in a, cu- a couple of sections of these past couple of stories where, like... That's why I decided like, to read the wiki because, like, some of these, you know, the parts are kind of confusing. Yeah. Eventually, at a cliffside, he sees a savage, mindless Nagora, driven insane, and Conan is forced to kill him. Looking down the cliff, he sees the mangled bodies of the rest of the souls, and with blinding speed, he races back to the Tigris, but encounters only death, and finally, the body of Belit. I uh, notice that every time Conan is in these situations where he's knocked out, tied up for long periods of time, drugged and passed out, he's always able to just run full speed after that. He's just fine. He has all his strength. Is he a fucking superhuman? He's Sumerian. The attack from the air, part four. Conan places Belit on a pyre, covered with the jewels of her plunder, and returns to the city to ponder why the creature kept him alive. He believes it is just playing with him and will return to kill him. 
And sure enough, at dusk, he sees the shapes of ape-like creatures approach, approach him from the jungle. He takes his bow and kills one, and almost a score more immediately rush and attack. He fells several with his bow, and when they crash into him, he kills the rest with his sword. Suddenly, he hears the flapping of wings, and the creature's master, the winged monstrosity, attempts to collapse the structure cone and fights atop. He leaps away, but ends up pinned beneath some fallen debris, his sword just out of reach. Again, this didn't break his bones or anything, but he was trapped. It's like, wouldn't that be, if it was that heavy to get muscly Conan trapped, do you think he would be able to either get out or be severely injured? As the ancient creature slowly approaches, the ghostly, fiery figure of Belit appears and distracts the creature long enough for Conan to wrench himself free, grab a sword, and run the surprised creature through. Conan slowly returns to the Tigris and sets sail, eyeing the shrouded, jewel-strewn body of Belit. I didn't get that at all, either. I thought she was alive when she saved him. And then I thought she, like, sacrificed herself to the yeah. fucking giant ape thing. That part was written very poorly. I did not I did not realize she was a ghost. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that was a little confusing. Yeah, I, I definitely... Because I didn't understand how she died, because it didn't explain, but I guess she died before that. Which, maybe I just missed that part. I was kind of tired when I read some of this story. The funeral pyre. At dawn, Conan sails to the shore, lights the pyre, and disembarks. He pushes the ship back into the current and watches as it floats away, the flames reaching higher and higher until the red glow disappears on the horizon. I did not like that story. I gave it a 2.5. Yeah. Even without the uh, the racism, I just I didn't think it was a good story. Thought it was kind of stupid. The ending didn't make any sense. Which which is which is disappointing because I really like the beginning. Started off really cool, but you'll have that sometimes. They can't all be winners, Spencer. Why not? I don't know. Fucking rain for pulp magazines. What's the next one? The Black Coast. No, we just did the Black Coast. We did the Queen of the Black Coast. So the next one's the Black Colossus. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid jerk. Stupid jerk. Uh, piece of fucking shit. Dude, I'm sitting right here. (laughs) The Black Colossus. A godly command places Conan in charge of a mighty army tasked with saving a haunted princess in the kingdom of Kujala from a mysterious (laughs) sorcerer. (laughs) Spare that for the the listeners. (laughs) So stupid. What's Koraja? K H O R A J A. Koraja? I guess that'd probably be. Why is there an H in there? Koraja. <laughs> I just like saying that type of shit. The detailed synopsis. Shivatas, a renowned thief from Zamora, stands at the ruins of Kuthchames while crippled by fear. He's in search of a fabled treasure once owned by Thugra Kotan, an evil sorcerer who disappeared 3,000 years earlier. These sorcerers are always just disappearing. Magic, bro. Magic, son. Suddenly, as Shavatas is prying the lock of an ancient tomb, a large serpent slithers into the ruins. Again, what does happen? Man? All these fucking snakies. Just fuck you up. I'm going to tongue that ass, boy. Don't do it. My butthole's too fragile. Almost by chance, he manages to kill it with a venom on his sword that matches the snake's own. Having defeated this monster, Shavatas enters a vault full of treasure. He looks up at a dais of crystal, is transfixed in terror, then screams presumably having been slain by an unknown magical power. It didn't explain how he was slain, he was just slain. Sometimes you gotta slay a fool. Sometimes something that you don't see or know of slays your bitch ass. Rumor spread throughout the kingdom of Cahorge. I didn't understand how the rumor spread. Because, uh, oh, wait, never mind. I thought there was rumors about the fucking sorcerer. Fucking up. 
Rumors spread throughout the kingdom of Kajaharoha, recently devastated by the kidnapping of its prince in Ophir. You alright there? No. Of a desert sorcerer hailed as a prophet amongst the nomads. Or the gonads, if you know what I mean. He's <laughs> got to have big gonads to go through the desert. The nomads known as Natak. Natak. You're just throwing fucking words and letters together, man. Known as Natak. The veiled one because he always wears a mask. Natak appears to the young princess Yasmela as a shapeless shadow with blazing yellow eyes. Who he promises will be his queen. And that she would be unable to resist him in his bodily form. Natak explains how he sleeps in the palace chamber of Arkabatana. But his spirit has left his body. Upon his departure, a deeply shaken Yasmela confides in her maid, Vatiza, who tells her that she must seek the forgotten oracle of Mitra for protection. Now... Didn't that thing didn't just want to make her his, it's uh, her his queen? He wanted to make her his queen in hell. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I think so. They were gonna be in hell. That's why she was so startled. Not just because he was a shadowy monster in the room saying sweet nothings. <laughs> they go to a disused shrine within the palace housing, a beautiful idol lake statue of Mitra. Ismela's desire to help is answered by the disembodied but reassuring voice of Mitra. The god tells her to go outside on the street and place your kingdom in the hands of the first man you meet. That could go very awry. Yeah, right? What a bad idea that is. Especially, like, back then. Yeah. Hey, drunkard, you are the new king of this stupid kingdom that nobody apparently likes. This turns out to be Conan. Of course it does, because he just fucking falls ass backwards and everything. (laughs) Who at first takes his mellow to be a street waif? A hooker. He thought she was a lady of the night. Until he whips off her cloak, and he really was violent with her almost. He was just grabbing, and he's not very gentle, but he is a barbarian, so. Anyway, he whips off her cloak and catches sight of her expensive clothes. She leads Conan to the palace, again a bad idea, and he assumes her to be a lady in waiting. (laughs) But Fatisa reveals Yasmela's identity by greeting her as princess. A startled Conan suspects a trap. And he gets all jazzed. I'm Conan, I'm buff, and I got the sword. You will not trap me. Don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with me, lady. But I could use some wine if you got it. <laughs> He's placated when Yasmela mentions the oracle. Yasmela and Conan discuss the military state of the kingdom, although the mercenaries are loyal as long as they are paid. The regular soldiers fear Kajora is a doomed kingdom, either by the military might of neighbor Koth or the supernatural takes of Natak. And by the way, Conan really is drinking wine through this whole thing. Yeah. He even, like, slams the thing down and more wine. He's a, he's a real wino. And he was fucking had wine on his breath when she met him yeah. in the street. And he was mad because the kingdom didn't have open bars. Like, he was really pissed off. Like, what kind of fucking... What was the, the phrase he used? It was a pretty good one. Um, uh, Something about uh, men working in the morning instead of drinking all night or something. As long as the country of Ophir holds Yasmela's brother, the rightful king, as a captive, things are precarious in Kajora. As Mitra ordered, Yasmela appoints Conan commander of the Kajoran army, much to the horror of Count Thespides, Chancellor Taurus, and General Almeric. There's another Taurus. That's a popular name. Because the thief was Taurus in the tower sto- el- elephant thing. Tower of the Elephant. Ultimately, and with the blessing of the Agha Shupras, her counselors reluctantly agree to serve up under him. In a moment of foreshadowing, Amorex exclaims how I have seen kings who wore their harness less wriggly than you upon seeing Conan in full plate armor. So this was uh, hinting at the very first story that he was already king. Yeah. So not much of a hint because I read that story. Yeah. 
The mighty Kurajan army, Kurajan army, bolstered by Almeric's multinational 3,000 strong mercenary force, sets off to meet Natak. Again, how do they fucking plan these fights? Like, is it they send a messenger and be like, hey, we're going to, like, attack you guy. Yeah. So have your army ready. Because they're always ready. There's always armies. Ravens. Have you, you never watched the Game of Thrones? It's Ravens. It has not explained that there's a raven in this universe. Not one. Not one raven. Winged monster beast, yes. <laughs> Flying apes, yes. Bat things, yes. Not one raven. The princess was riding with them also. Yzmela seeks shelter in Conan's tent from Natak's visitations. Ooh. Woken the next day by a conversation between her commander and a frantic Shemite thief from Shumir, he relates the tale of Shavata's death in the treasure chamber. His tale of Natak's unearthly power is so terrifying that Yasmela faints as the thief reveals a gold coin, which he says is stamped with the true face of the veiled Natak coin forged 3,000 years ago. Also, we are finally got to the point where there's a lot of fainting going on with these ladies. We're start- It went from, like, the first stories, the ladies were more badass kind of and now we're from this point on we get into ladies who uh swoon the actual word swoon is used a lot we'll talk about that a lot next story yeah and then there's a lot of uh fainting and uh helplessness and especially the next story and these ladies uh depend on conan for protection and now we're starting to get the 1930s view on women yeah Conan's army heads for the well of Ataku, where Natak's horde is said to be camped. On their commander's orders, the Corrigan army hate halts at the pass of Shamla, held by the Zahimi tribe, who joins Conan's troop. I was a little confused about the Zahimi tribe. I didn't understand where they fit in, like, the way I was reading it. I did like the description of, like, the desert and stuff a lot in this. It was pretty cool. Conan arranges his forces into battle formation, soon after which a mysterious fog engulfs the area. This was cool. Sound of the large, bo- large body of men thundered through the fog, which suddenly lifts to reveal the huge army of the Natak. The fog was cool because it was just like a mist that came in, and there was like no reason for it, and it didn't act like regular fog, and they couldn't see anything. And then Conan puts his ear to the ground, and he's thundering, and he's like, "Oh, there's an army coming!" And then all of a sudden, the fog just disappears, like it wasn't even there. So that was neat. The sound of a large body of men thunders through the fog. Blah 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 blah. Count Thespedes ignores Conan's suspicion over the apparently disorganized enemy, choosing instead to charge headlong at the enemy lines. This turns out to be a disaster. His idea for that guy. He uh, got in a big fight with Conan about it. He was mad with passion for his knights to show their their might and go fuck up some shit. And turns out this was a trap. As the uh, horsemen are all burned to death by magic in the midst of their headlong rush, they all just ran right into a big fireball and died. <laughs> it was really, really anticlimactic. And Conan's just sitting on the hill drinking like, that's that was a bad idea. Told him. Told him. They won't Told listen. Him. Nobody won't listen to Conan. Nobody won't. Yeah, nobody because he's a barbarian. Now he's the head of the army. He's like, does he know what he's doing? Well, apparently he does and they didn't. This almost routes the rest of Conan's army, but he maintains order by angrily smashing a would-be deserter in the face with a beef bone. I like that part. It's like, fuck a bitch! He bloodied that guy's nose. <laughs> Shupra's mounted... How do you get mad would you be if you got beat up with a beef bone? You can't even, like, fight Conan either, because you know you're going to lose. Shupra's mounted archers slaughter thousands with their arrows, but Natak's troops remain unfazed, perhaps due to mystically enhanced bravery they did they just kept running in droves into the arrows just dying like they just didn't give a shit about their lives so they were definitely under the influence of magic despite the continuing onslaught by the archers their opponents rush on like madmen ignoring even boulders thrown at them along the way 
Conan leads a force of hillmen into battle, catching his foes in a pincer movement, having sent a Zahimi guide to lead Almeric's cavalry round the western ridge in order to descend upon their enemy from the rear. They had to go down this treacherous path that nobody's ever ridden horses down. Though Conan's forces overall had suffered heavy losses, this move routes into Tok's army. And also, like, there's a scene where Conan's running down, like, this one ridge that nobody ever goes down and his whole army behind him. And they're just, like, some of them are falling and just getting crushed by horses and stuff. The mighty Prince Katuman of Stygia meets Conan for single combat and almost overcomes him. But Conan eventually managed to stab him into submission. He did. He just kept stabbing him and stabbing him. <laughs> like, that's a great way to submit somebody. Just stab him. Quit stabbing yourself. Quit stabbing yourself. Quit stabbing yourself. <laughs> It seems that Natak's forces have been defeated, but Natak himself is still fighting. His chariot, driven by an ape-like demon and pulled by a camel-like creature, rushes forward to kidnap Yzmela. However, the demon betrays Natak, throwing him and Yzmela from the chariot before flying off to freedom. I didn't understand why the thing did that. There was no explanation, I don't think. Uh, Story, that's why. Yeah, I mean, Conan was chasing him, but it didn't. And, of course, there's, like, a horse scene where, like, Conan needs to catch him and just... So happens a horse is running full speed right past him without a rider, and he yeah. just jumps on. It's like, oh, wasn't that convenient? But also badass. Very badass. Natak runs into the nearby ruins where he is confronted by Conan. Here he, this is so anticlimactic. Here he reveals that he is Thargrok Hotten, risen again. Natak is coating backwards and attempts to defeat Conan first by throwing a snake at him, then a scorpion. The snake was a, spe- uh, what do they call that? A scepter. Throws a scepter at Conan, turns into a snake. Then Conan chops it in half, and then it just turns into a scepter again. And then the guy uh, has the old, he has the lady tied up there on a thing, and he has a black scorpion of death, and he's uh, threatening them. And Conan, like, the guy doesn't even move. Conan's just like, ah, fuck you, and just throws a sword at it, right at his heart. It was like a split second. He's just like, meh, and he just killed the guy. And it was so stupid. Like, he had this big buildup, and then he just kills the guy with the sword to the chest from a, di- he just threw it. The guy was like, yeah, it was so fast, couldn't even move. And then he was dead. I was probably running out of space. Yeah. And then the sorcerer defeated, Yzmela falls into Conan's arm as he surveys the still battling planes of dead, dying, and fighting men. But as he is Conan, he uh, thrashes that Vagin. Because that's more important than saving the day with all the people dying. But um, that story I would also give, like, I'd give that like a 3, 3.5. And... Was I right or was it just me that it seemed like it took forever? That was like the longest story to me. I don't know why. But I mean, for, even for like Conan to, to show up. He didn't show up for like two or three chapters. But I, I don't know about you, but like a lot of time with these stories, like it's kind of slow for me until Conan shows up. Yeah, you want you want some Conan right away. I mean, that's why we're reading it. Well, give me the Conan. Oh, uh, you know what? Just to circle back to that, the, uh, the first story, the Queen of the Black Coast, there was two things I forgot to mention. One I liked, one I didn't like. I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> the the fr- the, if it's racist, you loved it. The phrase, sacrifice the blacks to open altar. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, but this phrase I thought was cool. During all the melee of murder and whatnot, the phrase, crimson holocaust was used. <laughs> I thought that was really yeah. cool. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Not so much the uh, the black talk. That was That's kind of bad. So what was your overall feeling of that one? Uh, yeah, this one I wasn't as as fond about. I didn't care for the first two stories, the both black stories here, the yeah. Coast and the Colossus. And the Black Colossus is such a cool name, too. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to it because like I was saying, before, I'm pretty sure I mentioned before, uh, 
in previous episodes, whenever I was first doing, like, some research, you know, on Conan and the different stories and stuff like that, that I always, like, it seemed like the the Black Colossus was, like, you know, that was one of the ones that yeah. they always brought up as being, like, you know, one of the better stories, and I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the Black Colossus was only, like, that was the beginning, right? The big building thing. Yeah. And that wasn't really even in it too much. Again, though, I thought it was, like, really well well written for the most part like this story there's a lot of scenes and a lot of uh imagery i really liked like when he's describing the desert and different things like that and even the big battle scene was kind of cool like with all the killing and stuff but it did seem like it just fucking was dragging on and on when i was reading it was really i mean it held my attention but i definitely wasn't as good as some of those first stories yeah and finally we have iron shadows in the moon oh Better not do the nitro again. That's what I was waiting for. Ho! Ace might get into something. He's probably fucking tore the house down on that side. You walking into the living room, you don't have a wall anymore. Yeah, it's alright, I rent. Escaping a massacre that claimed his army, Conan and an abandoned princess, go figure, make their way to a haunted and occupied island at the same time as a band of pirates. Now, I just finished reading this story today, actually, like right before I recorded this. So this one's freshest in my mind. I would give this one a. Again, a three point five. I thought. Uh, I think it was definitely the the best out of these three. Out of, yeah, out of this chunk. Yeah, I. I st- you know what? I still didn't find it all that enjoyable. Like there was parts of it that were cool, like especially the end. I mean, I'll get to it here, but I thought the end was kind of stupid, and the uh, the uh, beginning was uh, probably the best part. I think. Yeah. Um, it opens up with a lovely female named Olivia. Having fled captivity from the city of Akif, is chased down and cornered in a marsh on the edge of the Villette Sea. Does, does anything ever good happen at a marsh? Uh, probably not. <laughs> the only thing is like murder and death is the only thing that I've ever seen that happen. Marshes <laughs> aren't very nice places to be in. I used to live in a marsh and it wasn't good at all. It's wet but kind of humid and <laughs> lots of bugs. Her pursuer and former master is a sadistic Hycarian rogue named Shah Amarath. But before he can lay loathsome hands on the hapless heroine, a figure rises from the reeds. Well, again, isn't that convenient? You know what? This part almost made me roll my eyes, though. Apparently, the newcomer has his own bone to pick with Shah Amarath, having seen all his Kazaki allies and his free companions betrayed and treacherously cut down to a man before escaping into the marshes, where he is hidden out for so long he is nearly mad. The newcomer quickly dispatches Shah Amarath, then he and Olivia hop in a boat and decide to lie low for the next little while. Uh, Obviously, the man's Conan. Yeah. Once again, Conan's the only survivor of a giant massacre... And, two, and again, he's, his army was betrayed by another army. Go figure. And what are the odds that he just happens to be hiding out in a marsh that this guy is walking past? Well, at least they, they tried to do this one. Like, oh, uh, you know, everybody tried to go, like, east or whatever. And I was like, that's not a good idea. Yeah. So I went the other way, and they all got murdered, and I didn't. But still, like, he popped up right where this fucking guy was that he wanted to murder. And he murders him good. He, uh, how did he murder? He just stabbed him in the gut, didn't he? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, he murdered him good. Oh, he didn't just murder him good. He really murdered him good because, like, didn't he just, like, stab him and stab him and stab And just, like, made him a big lumpy blob of flesh, pretty mm-hmm. much. 
Because the lady was watching, and she was like, icky, but I can't stop looking. And her being a former princess, she's repulsed by Conan in the barbarian life. But this one had the heaviest themes of civilization versus barbarianism. Because uh, the civilized man was the one that was her captor. Who who she got sold to from her father. Yeah, her father sold her to the man. And uh, she, it didn't say it, uh, you know, it didn't like go out of its way to paint the picture, but she's pretty much, like, raped a lot, I think. Uh, that or, like, I think that's what was gonna be her her future, like... If well, she said he did stuff to her, so I think he at least got to her. Uh, either way, bad things for this lady's future until she met the barbarian savior, Conan, that she's repulsed by. But also, she's also, like, the uh, most bimbo-y uh, of ladies we've met yet, constantly fainting and swooning. And pretty much helpless without Conan, which is a strong theme in this story. And she, uh... Though she does have some... She, yeah, we'll get she, to that. She we'll, does have some of her own, like, character moments. But she, uh, being repulsed by Conan, can't help marvel at his... He's fucking bugged the shit out of me. His wolfishness. Because he, in these stories now, has been referred to as a wolf or wolfish 57 times. <laughs> a tiger 800 times. Uh, tiger eyes, tiger like lions, and I'm not just talking. He, he, he always roars lions. like a lion. He always roars and rumbles and groans and grits and laughs like a lion. And not only in just like one story, but in like one page, you'll see like the term wolf or tiger used multiple times. Yeah, and he always has the same goddamn smoldering blue eyes or blazing blue eyes. I'm like, all right, already we, we get it. It's blue. <laughs> So, and even in the same story, they'll refer to his eyes the same multiple times. His his black mane. His black mane. Oh, his mane is so black. He's a horse. Well, what about in this one? He kept on talking about his strong neck. and <laughs> Yeah, strong neck and his sinewy muscles. He's always talking about his muscle sinews. It's getting a bit much and a little bit homoerotic, I might add. And, uh... I just... I just... I thought it was hilarious whenever we were during the camp... When we were talking about it, like, during the off time at, at the convention, and you literally, were you serious? You had, you never thought of that at all before until I brought that up? You never got any, like, the, the homophobic, or not the homophobic, but, like, the the sexual, like, overtones of describing... I thought it was just sword fighting. <laughs> Buff guy sword fighting. It's hot out. I mean, what are you going to wear? Loincloth. Get a bitch in tan. Do some sword fighting. Well, why would you think it was, like, gay stuff, man? Well, the only reason I thought about that is because I remember before, he, like, hearing about, like, because, uh, you know, like, the the author, like, um, you know, killed himself, you know, like all, you know, authors seem to do. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, hooray if we... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, and just because, like, I, I heard, too, that he was, like, very kind of, like, sickly all the time. Right. That's why Conan was always so just, like, jacked. And then I, the, I heard something, too, just about, like, and I don't know if it was meant to, if it was just something somebody picked up later on, you know, like, years later, but yeah. just kind of, like, the the sexual, like, overtones of... Yeah, he was the original uh, ideal for, like you said, sickly men, young boys, guys that just were weak. I mean, if you go back to the strongman books at the time, they always, or even comics, they always had, uh, which we read that, uh, was it Luther Strode was based yeah. on? You get the comic with the muscle guy in the yeah. back and they teach you how to get buff. Um, 
So Conan was just kind of like the ideal of that, I think, because he was like a superhero more than like Superman was at the time. I mean, he wasn't jumping over buildings, yeah. but he was like really strong and damn near survives everything. You know what I would want to see? I want to know what uh, Conan's like workout reg- regimen is. Um, like, how did he get so you know so buff? Yeah. I want to know how he got so buff and stayed so buff in this story when he was uh, fucking... Because he describes when he was out to escaping, he was like laying in mud and muck and mire. And he when he popped out of the reeds, he was covered in muck and mire yeah. and blood. And he was all gross. And he said he was just living off of raw muskrats. Yeah. Just eating muskrats raw. That's all he had to eat. So you think he'd be like a little, you know, a little thinner here, a little loosened up. Well, I know, I get, I know his role game is on point. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, so the lady, she uh, tells him, Hey, I'm Princess Olivia, and Princess of Ophir, sold to my, by my father into slavery for refusing to marry a Cothian prince. So she was, in, for not marrying the Cothian prince, she was in turn sold to Shoth Amaroth, but escaped. So her father was a huge piece of fucking dunk. He's a fucking dung heap. Conan tells her of his time with the free companions until recently in the employ of a rebel prince in eastern Koth, Raiding up and down the borders of Koth, Toran, and Zamora. They were hunted down by Shah Amaroth and his men until only Conan remained and the, he and 